Tyler didn't even value her own life enough to keep living. She barricaded herself in and tried to commit suicide. She lived homeless for several years and lived a life of drugs, prostitution, and in and out of jail until 13 years ago after an invitation from her mom to come home. She had an encounter with God that changed her life. Come on, let's do a background check. Let's go! Have you or someone you know had your life turned upside down because of your past? Of course I have. Everyone does background checks now, which makes it hard to bounce back. What do you believe? I believe your background shouldn't hold you back. It, sh it should pay you back. This podcast will inspire you, motivate you, and inform you with everything you need to rise above your past and, and not be afraid to say, go, go ahead, check my background. My name is J. Dan Gum, and this is Background Check. You already know. Let's go. You can check my background. I'm a forgiving felon, so tell them that I won't back down now. You can bet I won't live in regret. It's time to earn some respect. You are tuning in to Background Check. Hey everyone, welcome to Background Check Podcast. I'm your host, J. Dan Gum, and today's show is, as always, brought to you by Forgiven Felons, helping people with a past realize their future. At Forgiven Felons, you might be saying, well, what does Forgiven Felons do? I know what Background Check Podcast is, but I've never heard of Forgiven Felons. We help men coming out of prison get back on their feet, providing the practical, physical, and spiritual tools they need to successfully re-enter society and become a productive citizen. If you want to know more, about Forgiven Felons and what our future plans are, we're going to open up a resource center. Go to ForgivenFelons.org. If you or your company or organization would like to sponsor the show or uh, an episode, then contact me. You'll get shout-outs before and after the show like this, as well as on the podcast show page. And finally, if you've never seen the documentary, you can watch it for free on Roku TV and Tubi TV. All right? So, background check podcast. What do we do here, man? Um, you know, it was just something on my heart that I felt like I wanted to provide a platform for others to share their story and maybe others share information that can help anybody and everybody that has to navigate a background check because of their past. So sometimes I may have people on here that have a story to share, inspirational or motivational, and sometimes informational. we got a parole lawyer coming up. Sometimes I may just have motivational speakers on here, but I may do a solo episode and just talk about a certain topic so sometimes, you know, the guests may hit one of those. Sometimes the guests may hit all three. All right. So today, let's get to our guest today. She's been a friend for several years now, and it all started when a mutual friend sent her our way to get into prison ministry. We had a conversation over lunch one day, and I listened to her share her dreams for ministry and life. She was a little scared at that time to go into prison, so I let her come share forgiven felons. Well, now she ain't scared. She's been in lots of prisons, detention centers, and lives actually as a home missionary in an apartment complex that some of us would, you know, make sure we go around before we go through. She works at Eyes on Me organization in Houston, which is an amazing organization. They mentor, disciple, and serve at-risk youth and their families. She's also a fitness junkie as well, known as Miss Fit. So let's, let's get to it. Tyler Coleman, welcome to Background Check Podcast. Thank you. You probably don't know how much of an honor this is mm. because several years ago, you and I were sitting at a table at Cafe Brazil mm -hmm. and you were sharing your story with me and, and it was incredible. I mean, you told me the backstory, I think right then you were, ta you were 
you were telling me about taking the test to become a personal trainer, and, and then you were in competition. I think you were in contest prepping right then. Um, and now here you are. We're sitting in an apartment complex, an apartment, an apartment complex that is rented out by a organization you work for, mm-hmm. and you're a missionary to this complex mm-hmm. through that through that organization. And that organization is called uh, Eyes on Me. That's correct. And I know the CEO. He's a really cool dude. He is. <laughs> and uh, and maybe one day we can interview him about about the, the organization. Yeah. But. Man, so between that day at Cafe Brazil mm-hmm. and now, so much has happened. We've had so many conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've, you've brought me supplements on mm-hmm. the job, on your way out of town. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. so, man, I mean, let's just start. Let's start. Let's start with your story because your story, your backstory, your background. Mm-hmm. We're doing a background check. Mm. But it's for the glory of God. This Amen. is not one of those background checks. The podcast, my slogan is, your background shouldn't hold you back. It should pay you back. Mm, that's so good. And so so when you share your story, it's going to be paid back in kingdom, salvation, souls, you know, seeds sown to everybody that's listening. So, so, good. so just tell us, I mean, tell us, how, tell us how you grew up. Let's start there, man. Sure. So my parents divorced when I was eight. Um, my dad was a great businessman, but a horrible father. Um, and they divorced. And then my mom, several years later, married my stepdad, who was an abusive and crooked police officer. And so as a teenager, I grew up and seeing this man wear this uniform and this badge that said to protect and serve. Um, but then he would come home and he would get abusive. He'd start drinking emotionally, physically, menti- mentally abusive. And so, um, you know, as a teenager, that I was very confused about what's going on. This guy's supposed to be, you know, serving right. and protecting. And here, just at home, he's, it's, there's just so much dysfunction, yeah. you know? And so, um, because of the lack of love and there was no support, there was no acceptance, it was just abandonment, neglect, quick yeah. to anger, all those things at home, I started searching for love, let's say, in all the wrong places. Right. <laughs> Um, and so that led to a spiral of, uh, using drugs, having sex when I was 15 for the first time and started using drugs. And, um, there it just became a really, really vicious cycle. Yeah. So how much of, how much effect do you think the divorce had on you as a young kid? Oh, despite the fact that he was not a great father, I was still, um, just so broken over their divorce. You know, I remember that night like it was yesterday and I don't remember a lot of things. (laughs) Did you blame yourself? Um, I'm sure part of, part of me did blame myself as a kid, you know, because I didn't know, but, um, you know, my dad had another agenda with another woman. So, yeah. So your stepdad comes in abusive. How did that affect, you know, I mean, obviously the, the behavior changed, um, the, High school. You're in high school now. Mm-hmm. So did you finish high school? Barely. Barely? Okay. Barely. Um, I skipped so many days in, my, in high school. I had to literally beg the counselor to let me graduate and to let me walk. Um, and I told him, if I didn't, you have no idea. My, my stepdad is going to kill me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he had grace and mercy on me, and he did let me walk. 
Um, but I mean, even even at home, um, you know, you could imagine my stepdad. He was known as the mean man on the streets, and right. so that was the same, you know, behavior that he had at home. And so my mom was very very scared of him too. Wow, you know. So did the divorce and then the dysfunctional relationship with the stepdad, how did that affect relationships that you had with, with boys in high school? Well, like I said, I went, you know, looking for love and acceptance, and I was hoping that, you know, I could get it in school um, because I wasn't getting it home. Right. And so I just would do basically whatever, you know, Anybody I thought the wanted. cool kids were doing yeah. mm-hmm, just because I wanted to be like them because I thought, you know, they're liked, they're they're being accepted, I just need to do what they're doing. And, um, you know, when I started having sex, I thought maybe this was the tool that would keep the guy to, quote unquote, stick around. Yeah. And it just backfired every time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you graduated from high school. What, what happened after high school? Um, I tried to go to college for three weeks and dropped out. Um, at now, I'm, I've got my own apartment, and I was just partying it up. And where is all this? Is this Oklahoma? I was like a rock star. No, this was... Um, in Louisiana. Louisiana. Yeah, Slidell, Louisiana. Slidell, that's mm-hmm. right, I remember. Yep, I was partying like a rock star, and so I started going into clubs, um, you know, got into techno music, ecstasy, crystal meth, cocaine, any uppers, all uppers, all weekend long. You know, we went to this one place on Sundays that everybody called the church, so Saturday night, mm. we're at Escapades, hey, you going to church tomorrow? Yep, I'm going. <laughs> and I think, we'd every, be there major, until I think every major city had a club called the church. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Okay. So, um, how long did that lifestyle last? Oh my gosh. Um, years and years. Um, I couldn't hold down a job really for more than three months. I was, I was waiting tables at the time. So, you know, it was just one restaurant to the next. Um, and, uh, I ended up finding myself homeless on the streets in New Orleans Okay. Mm-hmm. And like under a bridge homeless, uh, in your car homeless, mm-hmm. you know, like, like, well, I had a car at the time and, um, and let me back, backtrack a little bit. Um, from waiting tables, I actually started dancing in the entertainment clubs. Okay. And so dancing, still using drugs, every dollar I made basically went on, on drugs. And at the time I was, um, buying a ho- I was renting a hotel room every night and then it, I don't know what happened. There was this big crash, economic crash, and the, the the strip clubs just, you know, they weren't making the money that they were making before. And so that's when I started sleeping out of my car. And then out of my car, I would sleep in the park, um, those kind of things. So. so you find yourself at what age is this? Uh, early 20s. Early 20s. Mm-hmm. Homeless. Mm-hmm. No job. Mm-mm. What, what, what do you do? So, um, at the time, like I said, I was in the entertainment club, uh, entertainment clubs. And so when I wasn't able to get a hotel room, you know, and and sleeping out of my car and sleeping in the parks, um, I would go in, but maybe just once or twice a week, just enough to get a few dollars in my pocket. Um, but I decided one day if I was going to live like this then I wanted to move to Florida where I could be on the water, if I'm going to be homeless, I just want to be on the water. (laughs) Exactly. Be a beach homeless person, right? right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that sounded legit to me. So I went in one day, made some money. I was able to get my car out of the parking lot it was in and, um, put some gas in it and headed to Florida. And I had no idea what part of Florida I was going to. I just knew that I wanted to get there. 
And um, now, what were you leaving behind in Slidell? Anything? Did you get in trouble with the law at all at that point? Or was... I, that's a great question. I actually had been arrested three times in New Orleans okay. at this point. And For so, possession. Yeah. Okay. Possession, drugs. Um, yeah, just minor stuff. But each time, my mom bailed me out. Gotcha. Um, and so. Good old mom. Yep. Good old mom. <laughs> and so. Uh, so you're in Florida. So I'm in Florida. Um, Found a found the nearest strip club. I was running out of money, running out of gas. So, um, you know, stopped at a, a hotel, looked up the nearest strip club, went there, made some money, ended up um, making some money that day, and was able to get a hotel room that night. And I ended up meeting with some crack cocaine dealers. Wow. Yeah. And so from there, they said, "Hey, you know what? You got a car. Will you drive us around? You know, take us to our, you know, drive us to our spots. This and that. We'll keep you supplied with dope." And I'm like, "Yeah, that sounds like a yeah. great idea." Yeah. <laughs> for somebody yeah yeah I mean that's I mean why would you say no to that right <laughs> so we did that for about two weeks and then one day we got pulled over a cop immediately made us all get out searched the car found the dope found the paraphernalia hauled us all off to jail I called my mom from the fourth time and she said if you're gonna live your life like this I can't have anything to do with you mm. so I set my time in and did that make you mad oh yeah yeah. Did you I try mean, to put her on a guilt trip? Like, what kind of mother are you? Of course. I mean, I said some really unlife giving things to her, you know. And so hung up the phone, sat my time. And when I stepped out of Jacksonville jailhouse, I had absolutely nothing but the clothes on my back. Yeah. I had no money. So no, you lost your car. I lost my car. They had impounded my car. I had um, no idea where, where it had been impounded to. And even if I did know, I didn't, didn't have, any, have money any money to get it out. So I had nothing, nothing now but the clothes on my back. Now you have a criminal record in Florida. And now I have a criminal record in Florida. So, yep, this is my fourth arrest. And um, just started walking the streets. And I remember at one point, um, one of the girls that I had met in jail was talking about prostitution. And I'm like, you know what? This is what my life has come down to. Like, this is, this is what it is. So this is what I'm, this is, you know, what I'm going to do. So that kind of started a whole... Um, I was at my rock bottom. Yeah. When I stepped out of Jacksonville Jailhouse, I was I was hopeless. Yeah. And I had nowhere to go, and I had no money. I had nothing. Yeah, because you even had even less tangible stuff than you did when you left Slidell. Mm -hmm. I mean, you didn't have a car anymore. You didn't have any money. No identification. Nothing. Mm -mm. I so, was just like a body taking up space in the world. What was going through, on through your mind? I mean, what did you... Did you ever look at yourself and go, okay, how did I get here? Um, yeah, I know I had a few, you know, outcries and just in desperation and just angry, angry with God, Yeah. you know, not understanding how I got myself there, even though now I realize it was just a, you know, bunch of bad decisions. Yeah, yeah <laughs> absolutely. So how long, did the, how long did the prostitution and that go on? So... I, I call it kind of a, a period in my life where I was literally on the streets. Um, I was living that way for about three or four years, in and out of jail. Um, just in Florida, I've been incarcerated 13 times. Mm. While I was on the streets, I had several guns held in my head. I was almost choked to death. I even tried taking my own life at one point. Mm. Um, I remember I was sleeping in a park, and this guy came up to me and you know was kind of telling him you know my situation. And so he introduced me to some guys that lived in the house. So they let me stay on their couch for a little bit, but I was so miserable and I hated, I was depressed. I hated who I was. I hated who I, who I had become. 
Um, and so they left to go to work one day, and I found some generic pain pills, naproxen, in one of the cabinets. And I decided that tomorrow, the next day, I was going to kill myself. I had wow. it all premeditated. When they left for work, I blocked the windows. I blocked the doors just in case somebody tried to come home for lunch. Um, I was serious about it. Wow. Filled up the bathtub, sat in the bathtub, counted 20 naproxen, probably took another four or five after that, and just laid there thinking, okay, I'm going to pass out and drown any minute now. Wow. And, uh, and you it didn't. Never, never happened. No. Nope. Were you mad about that? I was. <laughs> <laughs> I was. I oh, got up man. and, you know, had to move all the furniture back in place. <laughs> um, yeah. I think I probably passed out like an hour and a half later on the, next to a pile of dirty clothes. Okay, so you've tried everything to get your life back on track, and then you tried to take your own life, mm. and that didn't even work. So where do you go from there? What's to next? To jail? <laughs> back to jail? Becoming your home away from home? Yeah. Because you knew you can get three meals in there, right? That's right. Three <laughs> meals, you know, you sleep on a bed, you can take a shower. Man. Yeah, so, so the last time I was in... Um, I was in for seven months and I called my mom at that point and years had passed since the last time I yeah. talked to her. And, um, and I told her, I said, if I don't get right, I'm either going to wind up in prison for the rest of my life or I'm going to be found dead, dead on the street. You know, I really believe that God was working on her heart. She just suffered through Hurricane Katrina. And so she came to visit me on two different occasions. And the second time she came, she said, when you get out, do you want to move to, she was moving to Oklahoma to be with her family after Katrina and she asked if I wanted to move there with her and restore our relationship and, you know, go through that healing process and all that. So. And so you said. Yeah. 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 But I didn't say yes because I was so excited about restoring the relationship <laughs> with my mom at the time. I just was like. It was a better idea than what you were living at that that's point. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. All right. Well, you're back. You're, you're in Oklahoma. What part of Oklahoma? Oklahoma City. Oklahoma well, City. Well, we were actually, at, in, at the time, we were in, in Edmond. Edmond, Oklahoma. Yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. that's just north of mm -hmm. Oklahoma City. Mm -hmm. So how, how is the restoration and reconciliation with your mom going? Oh, um, well, so this was in 2007, and um, I didn't know this at the time, but my mom was very scared of me. She said that every night that I would go to sleep, she would lock her door because she was afraid that she uh, didn't know if I was going to come in and, like, choke her or right. try to take her out. Um how did that make you feel when, when she finally told you that? I think just kind of stunned. I didn't, I mean, I wasn't sure if I had done or said something to make her think or feel that way. But when I had gotten out that last time, she actually, she drove to get me, her and my aunt and my cousin. And, um, you know, of course, I've been locked up for seven months. Or like, what do you want to eat? The first place I wanted, you know, the first thing I wanted to eat was pizza. But I was so <laughs> jacked up in my head. Um, Jay, that, like, I don't even remember this, but my mom said that I sat at a completely different table than them when we wow. sat down to eat. Like, I was just, I was just so, yeah. like, brain dead, it seems yeah. like. I don't even know the word to describe it, but, you know, there was just no life in me, right. you know? Lifeless. I was. I was lifeless. And so... So again, I, I, I was kind of shocked by that statement, but you know, <laughs> I just kept moving forward and um, eventually started working at IHOP. And oh, wait a minute, I gotta, I gotta, we gotta go back a little bit. Okay. So back to Florida. No, back to staying at my mom's house. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so she, she came to get me. So now we're, we went to Destin for a week vacation, whatever. Now we're home in Oklahoma. And she says, you need to go to, you need to see a counselor. You need to go to rehab. You need to do something. I'm like, I ain't doing none of that. I've been locked up for seven months. I ain't doing none of that. She says, well, we need to do something. Like, how about we join the gym? All right, I'll do that. So we go to the gym. It's on a Saturday. I'm on the elliptical for like 10, 15 minutes, sweating it out, feeling good, get off, go to sit down, started feeling really dizzy, ended up passing out, hit my head on a machine, was knocked unconscious, and woke up to this lady standing over my neck or standing over me saying, don't move your neck, don't move your neck. And I remember thinking, what radio station is this? <laughs> and I opened my eyes and realized that there was about a dozen people standing around realized what had happened. They put me on a stretcher. They rushed me to the emergency room. I had $4,000 in medical bills and staples put in my head, and I hadn't even been out of jail a week yet. Wow. So now fast forward, I realized I was really unhealthy. I needed to do something about this. So, And the, the people at the gym, they were such jokesters. This one guy like, you know, hey, here's a helmet. You need a helmet today? <laughs> no, I'm good, bro. Um, Never going to let you live that down. No, but, you know, I was, I was fortunate in the fact that you know, my perspective was, is that I was really unhealthy. I think a lot of people, if that would have happened to them, they would have been like, you know what, that gym thing's not for me, right. you know, would have never stepped foot in there again. But, you know, I kind of had the, the opposite perspective. And so I started working at IHOP, was making some money, eventually was able to hire a personal trainer, started working with her for about three or four months. And she said, you know what, I think you'd be really good at this. You should look into it. So I looked into getting my certification and um, I remember getting the NASM book in the mail and I just randomly opened it up to a chapter and I remember seeing the, the word gastronemus and I looked at it and I was like, I'm not smart enough for this. I can't pronounce that word nonetheless, know or understand where it's at, what it does. Uh-uh. And so I just put it aside. But God just kept drawing me back to it. And, um, and so every day I would get on my laptop. At the time, I was typing letters to God. And so I would just get on my laptop and I would just ask him to help me understand what it was that I was going to be reading today. And about a year passed and I finally, finally um, got my personal training certification. And I remember sitting in my car just weeping, weeping and just crying out and just in so much joy and gratitude and just, oh my gosh, God, like just two years ago, I was on the streets and here yeah. I am with this yeah. certification that I get to um, help people on their road right. of uh, health and fitness. So. so I know at some point you were at a, uh, a transitional house, right? Yeah. So yeah. where, where does that, where does that fit into the story? So I actually was Kind of at the same time, um, I had got my personal training certification in 2009. I think it was in 2011. I um, was a house mom in a transition home for Life Church for a little bit. Which is really neat because at the time you and I were eating at Cafe Brazil and you were telling me about this transition house, I, I didn't really... It didn't really register that it was Life Church. I think mm -hmm. you just told me that it was, at, you know, that it was a, a female transitional house. But then eventually we, we found out whose it was mm -hmm. and who was over it. Mm -hmm. And I had gone up there mm -hmm. and sat in their office, Craig and Amy Grishel, because mm -hmm. uh, I knew one of the campus pastors, Danny, and he took me up there to meet them. And they, they asked what we did. And we said, we're, we're doing you know, transitional house for men. Mm -hmm. and, then, and they were like, well, we, we're thinking about doing one for women. Mm -hmm. So then when I, when I finally figure out years later that that's, that was that house that you were in, was just really neat to know that uh, that they had that impact on you. 
Yeah, you know, I think the greatest impact um, was Amy Grishel. Um, you know, I'd never experienced, I never really knew what God's grace was, you know? Yeah. I heard about it, um, but I didn't really understand it. I could read a definition, but still nothing was really resonating of what grace was. And um, I was in the home. I was, so I was a house mom, but then I was also still doing personal training. So I was just kind of in and out. And, um, and I wasn't fully surrendered to the Lord just yet. Um, and one of the girls happened to have um, medication, and she was getting Xanaxes. And so one night she was like, hey, do you want a Xanax? And I'm like, yeah. So I take a Xanax from this girl, um, and she ends up going and tells. She, she told the house mom. Hmm. And so I'm like, this is it. I've lost my job. Like, I'm done with. I'm done. Like, I'm never going to be good in ministry. Like, you know, I just messed this up, you know. And I remember sitting at the table, and it was the house manager and another lady and Amy Grishel and Amy Grishel, and I'm just bawling. Like, yeah. I'm like, my life is over. What am I going to do with my life, you know? And, uh, and she just looked at me, and she said, Tyler, it's going to be okay. Wow. We'll just take the medication out of the house. Barb will bring the house during, or Barb, she'll bring it during the prescribed medicated times, and it'll be okay. Wow. And when she told me that, I just was like, that's it. That's God's grace, yeah. you know, yeah. and it was, it was beautiful. So I always hope to be able to extend that, that same kind of grace to other people now, you know? Oh, you do. I know you do. Uh, all right. So at some point you moved back to Texas, mm -hmm. you mentioned to one of my friends in the bodybuilding world, the weightlifting world that, uh, you wanted to do something with prison ministry. And then that's when he connected you with me. Mm-hmm. I tried to get you to come into prison. You were a little bit nervous about that. Mm -hmm. So I said, well, let's do a trial run and just come share your story at Forgiven Felons. So mm. uh, for those of you listening, Tyler has, uh, we've been friends for a long time and, and she's actually come and shared her story. Mm -hmm. um, Jessa Lynn, my seven-year-old daughter, mm -hmm. still calls you strong, strong woman. Aww. She just calls you strong woman. Aww. I mean, she knows your name is so Tyler. Precious. And every time we get the shaker, 5% <laughs> shaker out of the bottom, she's like... You remember strong girls, strong, <laughs> strong girls, what she calls you. That's awesome. So, uh, so you've That's been around. So you've been an impact on my daughter, and uh, she loves you, and she loves your, you. she loves your strength. You worked for Five Percent Nutrition, mm -hmm. and you did that for how long? Three and a half years. It was the I, longest job I ever held down, uh, Jay. That and that's amazing. It really <laughs> it was is very amazing for me. Yes. Um, <laughs> and you were so good at it. Mm. You traveled. I loved um, it. It was a great job. And, and, and of course, I, I grew up watching the bodybuilding world. And then when I, I, when I went to prison, I ordered magazines and, and kept and caught up with them. But I grew up in the age where Arnold was the king, and, mm -hmm. and I wanted to be Arnold. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was in prison, Jay Cutler and Ronnie Coleman were battling, mm -hmm. and they were going at it. But I always knew about Rich, mm -hmm. and I just thought he was a crazy dude. So then you're working for his company, mm -hmm. and you're traveling, and you're you're you're. Uh, I think you brought me, like I said, you brought me some supplements to my. This is the customer service that that she provided, uh, top notch sales <laughs> rep. She brought supplements to the job that I was working, mm. on her way out of town, mm -hmm. and so. Um, so I can't thank you enough for that. But <laughs> what was your life like? What was your, I mean, obviously at that point, before that point, you had a spiritual encounter with God and knew you wanted to go in the right direction. What was your spiritual condition while you were working at 5% and how mm. your spiritual journey, what was it like during that time? Well, I want to um, back up to 2010 
when the Lord had given me a vision of Misfit Ministry. That's right. That's mm-hmm. right. That was at, still at the halfway house, we wasn't were, it? Or the transitional house? Or yeah, okay. I think so. And I, and I think we had talked about that at... at um, Cafe Brazil. Yeah, I think so. I think we, yeah, we did. We talked we about did. that, yeah. So he gave me that vision to empower and encourage women that are or have been incarcerated how to live how to live a healthier lifestyle physically, spiritually, and mentally. I think the way you told me was that somebody said that over you, said you're 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 misfit and you're like No, 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 no. I was sitting at a I was sitting at a train. Um, there was a train that was okay. passing by and so I was just sitting there coming actually coming from the gym. Okay. And I was just sitting there waiting for this train to pass and God just downloaded this word misfit and I'm like, Misfit, where are you going? And he's like, You used to be a misfit. Right. But now you're misfit. misfit. That's right. All yeah, right. that was all that was all God ordained. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. And so that's when the vision came to encourage and empower women that are or have been incarcerated how to live a healthier lifestyle physically, spiritually, mentally. And so like that's kind of a, a God-sized dream. It's a, a God-sized vision that I'm just like, God, if you if this is your plan, then you got to open these doors because yeah. I don't even know where to start. Um, but I would love to go into prisons and um, start a training program for the girls in the prisons. You know, um, that's kind of where my 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 like heart is I would love to do that so fast forward um I was still kind of at the time I was like I said just not fully surrendered the Lord kind of one foot in one foot out um started working for five percent and even before five percent I got into bodybuilding and um God had also given me a vision of competing um one time when I was locked up this lady came in and she shared her testimony and I remember thinking man that's gonna be me I'm gonna be her one day I'm gonna come back in I'm going to share my testimony and I'm going to impact these people just as she's done for me. And so God had given me this vision uh, to compete in bodybuilding, but to do it all naturally. And so then when I would go back into the prisons, I can tell them, hey, if I can do this, you can do it too. And unfortunately, I got into the bodybuilding world and um, got really wrapped up into steroids. And so started competing and I, you know, was like, if I'm going to be the best of the best, I got to do what everybody else is doing. right. So I got, um, you know, I got kind of wrapped up in that for a while, and um, and it and it had effect on me mentally. It had an effect on me, and 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 I always like, I never felt right about it. Like, and to each is their own, but just for me, I felt like God was telling me that that wasn't the road that He wanted me to go down. Right. And so, but I just kept tuning that voice out, you know. <laughs> yeah. But we look get, how we, look at this six pack yeah. though, you know. <laughs> I mean, I've never had a six-pack, God, come on now. Like, I feel good about myself. And so, um, but it got to the point where I remember asking this one girl, awesome Christian woman that also was in the fitness industry, and I asked her, um, you know, what her opinion was on steroids. And she said, let me ask you a question. When you see yourself in the mirror, you know, naked, do you, can you truly say that you're beautiful just the way that God created you? And I couldn't. It was something about what she said and the way that she said it, that it just pierced my soul. And from and I remember I when you posted that on, on social media, yeah. I, that, that post just, I mean, it, it touched me. It was really, it was really good. It was really impacting. Yeah. So that was a turning point for you though. It right? was very much was. I started tapering off everything and I haven't been on any since, but so during that time I was with 5% um, traveling all over the place. I had Colorado, New Mexico, Oklahoma, and Texas. And I don't know how much you've driven through Texas, Jay, but you can drive 10 hours and still be in Texas. So I had a huge territory, traveled all the time, was always on the road, and I loved it. 
Um, it's funny because, you know, all, as much as I had been incarcerated and, and just like I was telling you, you know, coming out, like I had no communication skills. I was just lifeless. And God used what was at one point, you know, the weakest, one of the weakest things about me to like, it, it was, um, it became like a, uh, it was my number one tool that I had right. to use, right, in right. and, and sales. And so it was just, you know, God has such a, a humor, sense of humor like that. And so so I was making good money, um, making really good money. And uh, I was living in Dallas at the time. And then I decided I was going to move to Waco because it was kind of more central to Texas. Right. And I had a friend that was hooking me up on a really good place. And so I was waiting on it to finish building out. So it was supposed to be ready in January 2018. Um, and then it got pushed back to February. And then it got, got pushed back to March. So meanwhile, I didn't have anywhere to stay. So I started staying with some friends here in Houston. Just in the three months that I was staying with them, God started opening up all these doors where I was going into detention centers. I was mentoring. I was having these speaking engagements. I remember having a conversation with you on the phone, I do remember this at one point, I was still with 5% and I'm talking to you about about the vision of Misfit Ministry. And you, you know, basically were like, you know, you just got to start taking the steps and God's going to lead you, you know, where you're supposed to be, you know, as far as doing the youth ministry and stuff like that. And so my friends were like, why would you move to Waco? Like there's nothing in Waco, move here to Houston. And so I started looking at places here and, and everything was either way over my budget or it was in the hood. Yeah. I was having a really hard time finding that in-between place. Ironically, now I'm in the hood. <laughs> but um, so I found this condo on the lake. I audibly heard God in my spirit. I've never audibly heard him before, but I truly, honestly heard him say, this is your home. And so I turned around to my realtor and I said, okay, this is it. I want to rent this place out. So she calls me a few days later. She said, good news and bad news. Good news is you got approved for the rent. Bad news is the owners decided they wanted to sell it. But don't worry, they'll give you 24-hour notice when somebody's going to come look at it and they'll honor your lease for you. I'm just giving you, I got to give you all of it because this is so yeah, rich, yeah, this part yeah. right here, right? And so, you know, I call my mom. I'm like, man, I, you know, I thought this was my home. And she said, see if they'll do a rent to own. And in my mind, I'm like, there's no way I can buy a house. I right. don't have the money. I right. don't have the credit. credit. I don't have this. I don't have that. But when it's God's will, he just moves mountains and makes it happen because I ended up applying for a loan and I got approved for my first home. And so I know that I know that I know that God planted me here in Houston for a reason. Still working for 5%. And so kind of during all this process, during this time, I happened to be scrolling on Instagram and I saw um, Pastor Jeremy. And Pastor Jeremy was actually my youth pastor in Monroe, Louisiana. There was a time of my life that I was in Monroe. I had gone to live with my dad. I had just started an addiction to crystal meth. And I thought, if I go live with my dad, if I just change my environment, right. I'll change, yeah. right? Yep. Yeah. I, 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 nothing internally that was going no. on. It was all external. Yep. So I went went and lived with him for a little bit, started going to this Pente Pentecostal church. Pastor Jeremy was my youth pastor. Fast forward almost 20 years later, I'm scrolling on Instagram. I see Pastor Jeremy. I'm like, oh my gosh, is that Pastor Jeremy? I happen to look on his on his on his link, and he is a pastor right here um, at Hope City. And so God just kind of recircled all that back around. So awesome. Messaged him, and I said, I don't know if you remember me. And he said, Yes, I remember you. Um, I baptized you. So that was really neat. Um, started going to Hope City. Um, went through this this curriculum called Freedom, and going through Freedom was literally a pivotal shift in my walk with yeah, God. Yeah, that's a great program. Yeah, it was literally a pivotal shift. And so 
anything that I was still holding on to, it was just, it was gone. And now it's just a full, total surrender. And, uh, and it's amazing. We started going to Hope City, went through the Freedom Curriculum. Last year at Easter, Pastor Jeremy asked for me to share my testimony at Easter Sunday yep. at the Berry Center with almost 20,000 people <laughs> between four services. And I think so, we talked before that. And I think probably, you were so nervous. I was super you were nervous. so nervous. Super nervous. Even though it was only 45 seconds, but it's still a lot of people to be speaking yeah. in front of. And so after the second service, this guy walks up to me and he said, we got to connect. Here's my card. We got to connect. And so he hands me his card. And uh, later I look at you know, look it up and look at this ministry and uh, it's eyes on me. And I just was on board with everything that they were doing. And so that's how I got with the ministry that I'm yeah. with now. The head of your ministry is uh, Trey Nine. Yes. And uh, he's done prison ministry. And, and, and tell us a little bit about Eyes on Me. What all do y'all do at Eyes on Me? Uh, every scope from kids to adults to Jails, prisons, what what all does Eyes on Me do? Mm, so much. So Trey Nine is actually a Christian. He's kind of known as the godfather of Christian hip-hop here in Houston. So um, it started with just him going in 11 years ago to inner cities of Houston and doing a concert for, you know, these kids in the inner cities. And he started to see, after doing these concerts, that there was so much more of a need other than just going in. Um, and leaving. And so that's kind of how the ministry was founded from that. Um, so we exist to mentor and disciple at-risk youth and their families. And it starts, we still do Hip Hop Hope. Um, 11 years later, we still do it. Unfortunately, we haven't been able to because of COVID, but we're in five different communities of Houston, um, Sunnyside, Fifth Ward, Greenspoint, Brookshire, and Form Park. And within each of those communities, we do Hip Hop Hope twice a month. And that really allows us to build and cultivate the relationships with the residents and with the kids. And, you know, they start seeing, oh, man, you guys are you guys are about it. You're not just here for right. once every six months. You guys are, are consistent. You, actually, you, you guys actually live here because you live as a missionary to this apartment complex. That's right. Y'all have uh, the first floor is, is your, your office area. And then you live above that. Yep. But you actually moved here in January as a missionary to this apartment. When you used to post these pictures, mm -hmm. I thought it was just an outreach you were doing at that apartment complex. Yeah. I really did. Yeah. Until I saw one post just recently, not so long ago, where you were like, you, you actually said the words that you live here. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, wait, what? Mm -hmm. And then that's when I was texting him, like, you actually live there? Mm -hmm. So that's incredible. But but they do that at all those other places you mentioned, too, three, right? Three out of five of the communities, we have missionaries that live on site. So and, and what it, what like what is what do you do here at the complex? Man, you know what? I just like really my focus right now is just really building the relationships with the residents yeah. because we do a lot of programming, but and the kids are all about the hip hop hope and all yeah. all the fun things. The kids will come to it, but the but the family, the kids can come to a program but then go back home to dysfunction right. and abuse and neglect. And so my heart is how do we get into the homes and with the parents? And so my, you know, heart right now is really just building those relationships with them and finding out what is your need? Do you have a GED need? Do you have a job need? Do you have like, what is it? Let and, me meet well, I mean, where even, you're at. Even walking in, you, you stopped, we stopped and talked to, to some ladies mm -hmm. and, and you even asked them right then, what do you need? Mm -hmm. You know, and of course they need some food and you're mm -hmm. going to get them food. Mm -hmm. um, but it's obvious, it's very evident that mm. you are very good at building the relationships. Mm, thank you. And, you know, and, and 
what else? What else do y'all do? It's a blessing. You know, it's so crazy because, you know, I was telling you a little while ago, like, you know, when I was looking for homes here, that everything was either way over my budget or in the hood. And I literally live in the hood now. Like, but this is, you know, I've always had a heart for Africa. And so this is like my Africa. You know, I believe that God has given, like, he's given me kind of authority over this area. Ideally, we want everybody to find their identity in Christ. Like that's, that's the, that's the winner, you know, that's the goal, goal, you know? Um, But if people can't, Think about like if, if people are so caught up and I don't know how I'm going to eat tomorrow or I don't know how I'm going to pay my light bill, they can't think about who they are in Christ. Right. And right. they don't want to hear you shoving scripture down their throat when they don't, you know, they don't know how they're going to, they can't sleep at night, you know, right. whatever it is. And so it's just really meeting them where they're at right now. It's meeting them where they're at, finding out what their needs are, helping them to meet their needs, and then eventually getting to that place where they will allow me to speak into them. They will allow they will allow me to disciple them, and I believe that's when the catalyst change is going to happen yeah. in this place. Yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah, but you also do some fitness stuff. Yeah, I know it's COVID nineteen. You're probably not able to do some of it, but but I, yeah. uh, before all this happened, I would see some of your posts and your mm-hmm. leading groups of uh, ladies mm-hmm. to, to better themselves physically. Mm-hmm. So now is that all done at the place called the Hanger? That is. Okay, yep. now tell us what the Hanger is because it seems like a lot of things happen at the hangar. Yeah, yeah. So the the hangar is kind of like our community center um, that God has blessed us with this big, huge building that we pay a dollar a year for. And so we literally have in the back of the hangar, we have a warehouse that has full gym equipment that was donated to us. So that's where I go and, and train these ladies for free. So it's amazing because the ministry pays me, but these ladies don't have to pay me anything. They just come in and work out. And so it's it's a blessing, such a blessing for them. And of course, you know, I believe in body, mind, spirit. So we always either open or end with prayer. But at the hangar, man, it's going down at the hangar. We have Hip Hop Pope there. We have Star Players Night. We have um, Gather for Women. There's always something every day of the week going on at the hangar. We have pool tables there. We have a DJ set up. Like, it's just, it's the place to it be. It looks fun. It I kind of wish I were in Dallas. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. It's a blast. I'm kind of hoping we can get something like that over here on this side. So what's next for Tyler Coleman? I mean, you you've, you seem like you've, you've accomplished or are accomplishing your ministry goals, your ministry dreams, um, you know, what, what's going on with the house? If you're living here, what, what, what's, did you sell it? Are you renting it out? What's going on with the house? So I've been just sitting on it, <laughs> um, still paying mortgage, but living here and just praying that God would bless me with a good renter and so man. You, so you want to rent it out? Yeah. So okay. I've got somebody moving in July 1st. Praise the Lord. Yeah. It's, it's all a blessing. It's just, everything's just coming together, you know? Yeah. I could get a husband next. That would be great. Okay, you heard that, guys. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's neat though because before eyes on me, mm-hmm. you went through some relationships. Mm-hmm. I feel like you and I had a conversation about every one of them at least one time or another. Probably whether it was during or after the breakup or whatever, mm-hmm. or telling me how psycho the guy was. <laughs> uh, never forget that guy. Um, <laughs> But I feel like I feel like you got to a point where you almost I don't hear about I don't hear much anymore about a relationship, but I see your relationship with God mm-hmm. just becoming so so much more intimate yeah. than anything you've ever had in your life with any other guy yeah and that's that's why I know mm-hmm. that he's got someone special for you yeah. because you're leaning into you're leaning into God mm-hmm. and you're not 
you're not um, depending on the stupid earthly guys mm -hmm. to validate who you are mm -hmm. because you know who you are. That's right. And you're not, you're not, you don't have to settle. Mm -hmm. and, and you know that, that he's got somebody for you. Mm -hmm. I know he's got somebody for you. And uh, I, I don't and have his honestly, phone number. I don't have his phone number. <laughs> but, uh, but I just know because, because I know I was in prison and God had Jessamy for me. Mm. I had to have it out with God when I listened to your podcast with Ron and Don and hearing you talk about you and Jessamy and then Ron and Don and how they met. And I'm like, okay, God, this is it's so not turn. fair. It's your turn. It's, it's your, been 12 years since I rededicated my life to you. And here he steps out of prison and like meets his, his wife like instantaneously. Ron and Don meet several years, I think, after they, yeah, after they got conference. out at a conference. And so I'm like, 12 years, really? But, you know, it's, it's like you said, like he really... I really did have it out with God that night, just so you know. And I had to go home and write a specific list, too, because she mentioned something about go. a list. Make so a I list. Had, I Make had a it. list. Anyway, so, but it, it, it's so true um, so, that so my relationship with God has just flourished so much. Let's be three things. Can me three things on your list. What are you looking for in a man? Three things. Because so, Dawn had three things, remember? She yep. said, he's got to read verse, read, read the Bible well, to me. But, but if I tell you, and if someone's listening to this, and they're going to know my three things, then they're going to be like, that's it. Just tell me one. Um, what's a, what's a non-negotiable that he has to... A non-negotiable is um, he has to... He has to pray with me and for me every day. Oh, that's good. Mm -hmm. That's good. Mm -hmm. so. That's good. I like that. Yeah. Well, we just weeded out a bunch of people for you. Amen. Because right? <laughs> there's gonna be some guys like I don't want to do that, and they and you don't you don't need them. So we yeah. just we just narrowed it down. That's right. But I'm at a point right now with my relationship status, if you will, um, that I'm just really trying to be at a place where God, even if you call me to singleness, like I'm yeah. okay with that. Yeah. You know, and I need to be okay with that because. I know that God has a calling on my life in ministry and doing what I do, and it would take a really, really um, strong man, so yeah, to speak. Yeah. It would take a man that has the same heart for ministry to do what I do. Not everybody can no. surrender their their condo. I had a 2018 car that I had to surrender. Like I, I, I sacrificed a lot to be in this position in ministry, yeah. you know, yeah. and. Um, well, Not you, everybody can do that. You so. deserve the best, and God has somebody. I, I can't wait to meet him one day. Uh, <laughs> Thank I really you. can't. Thank and, you. Uh, and so I'm so happy for you. Thank you. Is there anything else about your life or eyes on me that you want to share that I haven't asked about? No, I think we covered. Yeah, we covered. Now, if the somebody most of wants it. to follow your story, can mm -hmm. they follow you on social media? Sure. All right. Facebook, Instagram. What are you Instagram, mostly on? Instagram, Inked, I N K E D underscore. N underscore fit. And then on Facebook, it's Tyler Coleman. All right. And uh, that's inked and fit on Instagram. Uh, and it's because she's got a lot of tattoos. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and hopefully she'll, she'll give us some pictures that we can post on the show notes, sure. you know, of your, of your ink. And, mm -hmm. and um, you know, uh, I'm proud of you. Thank you. Uh, you know, I'm... I'm proud of you. I mean... <laughs> it's so fun to see what you're doing and what God is doing through you in this ministry right now, so... It's... Uh, this podcast thing is a, is a, is a joy ride. I'm loving it. Because yeah. I love to talk. Yeah. And so, you know, I know most of this is about me listening, so God's working on that part, too. <laughs> so, but it's it's just about helping people... Yeah. Have a, give a platform 
so that we can just talk about things. You know, and Huckabee was fun. Uh, going on Mike Huckabee show, that was fun. Mm. But, uh, but I've, I just enjoy seeing people that were committed to doing things for the kingdom mm-hmm. and then watching them walk that out. Mm. You have such an anointing on your life Thank you. that the devil was trying to suppress mm. for a, such a long time, and he couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And so he tried to make your life miserable Mm. with some things, with some bad relationships, bad things. and But now you're walking in the anointing that he has on you. Mm-hmm. And I'm just enjoying mm-hmm. watching it, watching you. you watching you relate to these guys, even the guys coming in, mm-hmm. you know, the guys out front, <laughs> Marlon, yeah, Marlon, uh, yeah. just, you know, and the average Christian yeah. would probably be afraid to develop a relationship. The average Christian wouldn't even drive up in this neighborhood, let's be honest. So so the fact that that he sees you mm-hmm. as somebody he can approach, because mm-hmm. Jesus was approachable. Mm-hmm. The religious leaders of the Bible's times were yeah. not approachable, but Jesus was. Yeah. And well, so, and you know, for me too, it's like, you know, I've, I've even been asking them as I get the opportunity because there's so much of just racism and social injustice going on in our world right now. And I don't want them to see me as just the white girl that's here to hand out food. Right. You know, right, yeah. like I really want to um, to be in relationship with these people. And so some advice that um, I'd received not too long ago was uh, this guy said um, really cool story. I'll try to make it quick. But there was a missionary that was in he was from China, but I think he was in England or something on missions. And uh, somebody from his family had gotten sick. And so he was doing the same thing that I do as a missionary, but he was raising support from people and that and whatnot. And I guess he didn't have the funds to go back home to be with his family. And the community that he dwelled in ended up raising the funds for him wow. to send him back home. Wow. And so the point of him telling me this was, you need them just as much as they need you. Yeah. And when he said that, it was just kind of this shift, like, you know what, you're right. Like, these people are my family now, and that's how I hope that they see me too. Yeah, I know they do. I know they do. So, Mm -hmm. well, uh, again, we'll we'll post all, uh, we'll post the Eyes on Me uh, website as well. Yep. So people that want, are interested in that, if you're in the Houston area, give. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Of your time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah, assuming yeah. y'all have volunteer opportunities when the yep. COVID thing opens back up. Absolutely. Uh, you need people out here helping you for, with different events, yeah. right? Yeah. Yep. We so. need some boots on the ground for sure. Okay. Yep. How else can they help? Eyes on me. Well, financially. Financially. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been awesome. Thank yeah. you so much for taking no, the time to you. do this. Yeah, thank you. So thank you for can't wait to driving see. all the way from Dallas to Houston <laughs> just to do these podcasts. This is amazing. Can't wait to see what Talk else about service. God has in store for you. Yes, thank you, brother. All right. All right. Thanks. All right. Bye. Later. Man, Tyler is such an amazing woman of God. And it was an honor to get to listen to her full story again. So what, what can we learn from her story? Well, first, never give up on yourself because God hasn't given up on you. Satan tried so hard to take Tyler out through the streets and even taking her own life. Satan will use whatever we go through to get us to believe that our life is worthless and that we should just end it. But I love how God works. He, he gently tries to let us know that no matter what we've been through, no matter what decisions we've made and how bad they are, that he can still use us for the kingdom of God. And he still wants to use us for the kingdom of God. But notice that 
even after she gave her heart to the Lord, she still went through some hard times. Hard times just don't magically disappear when we give our heart to the Lord. In fact, in some ways, it gets a little tougher because there's there's more of a battle. But she still kept moving forward. She didn't give up on her life, dreams for ministry, or trying to find that right relationship. And that persistence paid off. I remember having so many conversations with Tyler about life, ministry, and, and why it didn't look the way she dreamed and wondering if God did have somebody for her or if she just you know, was not good enough for anybody anymore. Now she's a home missionary for an organization that is doing everything she wanted to do in ministry. She's embraced her season of being single and has leaned in so much to God that that's the number one relationship in her life. She's sacrificed so much to be where she is, and her story is touching so many lives. What she has been through is being used by God to bring people into the kingdom. You should see the faces of the people in that apartment complex where she lives when they see her. I mean, when I got there, we just walking into the, the apartment complex. I mean, most Christians would just avoid this guy because of the way he looks and, and the lifestyle that he leads. But she gave him a big old hug, and he spoke to her like she was his best friend. Then we saw some ladies under some stairs. They were sitting right outside their doors. They talked about Tyler and to Tyler like, like she was their daughter. They love her, but they really love the Jesus in her. I heard her ask them if they needed anything, and, and they said, well, maybe some bread. And she said, you got it. <laughs> you remember when Tyler said that Amy Grishel said to her, Tyler, it's going to be okay. And Tyler said that she could see and feel the tangible grace of God in that statement. Tyler said she hopes to extend that same grace to people one day. Well, Tyler, you are my friend. When I hear stories like Tyler, it inspires, but it also convicts me at the same time. It makes me question whether I'm doing enough for the kingdom of God. So I'm, I'm going to get better. I'm going to do more. I'm going to find a way and pray and ask God to show me how to do more. Well, that's it for this episode. Check out the work that Eyes on Me is doing uh, in Houston on their website, Eyes on Me inc.com eyes on me inc.com i'll have that link in the show notes as well uh and more pics of tyler doing what she does in her ministry thank you for listening to this episode of background check it was fun we got another great one coming up in the meantime if you haven't listened to the others please check them out there are some great stories and uh that i get the privilege of sharing with you so and if possible leave us a review on apple and rate us in whatever platform you're listening to Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and we also have a YouTube channel. Don't forget to check out the, the documentary on Roku TV. And check out the show notes at forgivenfelons.org forward slash background check. And we will see you on the next episode. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Background Check Podcast brought to you by Forgiven Felons, helping people with a past realize their future. For more information, please visit forgivenfelons.org. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and please don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss the latest episode. I'm J.D. Gum, and this has been Background Check.